This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. I'm Jesse. I'm Tamahome. And I'm Jenny from Reading Envy. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. Howdy. Hey. Well, today we get to talk about a novel by Joe Walton called Among Others. Yay. It's just one nebula. It's just one nebula. So you yep. only find out what Among Others means in, at, the, at the end, I guess. Um, I, I was trying to figure it out all the way through, and I was like, what the I, kinda, oh. I again, it must have, well, I know it has multiple meanings. Because I, I always always thinking among others was her kind of finding her people both in the science fiction world and then, you know, the whole fairy and magic thing going on. So yeah, she, I thought you it know, was So she was among her type of people and she was finding them throughout the whole book. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, the only other way to look at it was probably the, the proper way. This is the most meta book ever, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... You know, I heard uh, Tam posted an interview with her, or discussion with her on the Cood Street podcast that yeah, had yeah. her talking about uh, the book a fair amount. And one of the things she was saying was that she didn't like it when people asked her what her favorite book was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have the same problem. I mean, I don't have a favorite book. I have a favorite book I'm reading at the moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have a favorite book uh, to read in the bathtub, uh, maybe that's beside my bathtub right then but I don't have a favorite I have many many favorites um, and so she she could say I guess she could say as an answer to that question uh, you know what's your favorite Heinlein book and you say oh uh, Red Planet or something among others um, mm. uh, yeah, there's another meaning that yeah. might be the meta answer mm-hmm. because it's certainly not in the book other than you know I guess interpret I, I don't even think it's actually those two words are right beside each other anywhere in the book other than on the title page. Right. Um, I think right at the end we get the among and then among a few or something like that. Yeah. So the books are her friends. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yep. A lot of interlibrary loan love in this book. <laughs> interlibrary loan. Yeah, I think the, uh, the word interlibrary <laughs> appears more in this book than in any other book, except maybe yeah. a library textbook or something on how to be a librarian. I don't know that interlibrary loan as much as, as her, uh, that character other than me. I, I always talk about interlibrary loans because it's the way you get good books. So that, that's why this was a good pick to Scott and... Tam and Jenny, thank you very much. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it says interlibrary loans are a wonder of the world and a glory of civilization. <laughs> yeah, that's I awesome. sent that quote to my interlibrary loan librarians who are always getting me my obscure science fiction books because you know we have like the state borrowing and then the international one, and the the state I live in doesn't even have the books I want to read sometimes. So mm-hmm. wow. I have this experience too. <laughs> it was just so cute to hear it in the Welsh accent too. Because I mean, mm-hmm. of course we all oh, yeah. listen to the audio. Yeah, I did. And uh, mm-hmm. interlibrary loan was cute. <laughs> what's, the, what's the farthest the Welsh you've got a book from uh, in the interlibrary um, loan system? Amsterdam. Amsterdam. Wow. wow. Holy cow. Yeah. How about that? That's neat. I'm from Wales. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> farthest I've got is from Yukon, and that's only next next door. Yeah. So. Well, and the other side of that, what, one of the things I really loved about this book is um, 
interlibrary loan is great because that gets her the books she wants to read, but the part that she doesn't necessarily even uh, recognize as a youth is the effect and that the librarians are having on her life, the way they look out for her and, and uh, reach out to her. They have no choice. They're they're under spells. (laughs) (laughs) They're in the caress. Well, you can explain (laughs) that away if you want, but that's a pretty true experience. I think of a lot of children who are kind of loners. I think they often befriend librarians. Mm -hmm. And so it was nice to see that in there. Yeah, that's neat. She, she even said that she might become a librarian, but only at a bigger school. Where they have yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a science fiction librarian. <laughs> exactly. So uh, the other thing that's strange about this book is uh, there's not much of a plot. I mean, it, it's there. Yeah. Uh, it's very slow-paced, which I, yeah. you know, I'm not normally a fan of. But I, I was telling Luke uh, recently about this book, and I was telling him basically it's a whole bunch of book reviews. <laughs> I guess kind of, yeah. You know, I, I really like the book, um, but I was definitely more interested in the parts where she was talking about books, which there is one right. heck of a lot of parts, than the parts um, that she was talking about magic and fairies and things. Um, sometimes yeah. I'd zone out a little bit, and then she'd mention Zelazny, and I'd go, ooh, you know, cool. Um, but I, I didn't, I didn't, you know, dislike the rest of it. Um, I think I was just more interested in constant exploration of the whole, you know, of all these books. It it almost didn't need to be a, uh, a fictionalized by, you know, it's, it's a fake autobiography because she, she, you know, she, she talked about in that interview that Tam posted uh, about how it, you know, it is her sort of. Um, you know, no, presumably no fairies and such, but, uh, you know, she didn't join a reading group until later in life. Uh, but, uh, they sort of reflect her experiences of reading groups. And so the, you know, the plot, what there is of it is, yeah, pretty minimal. And Mm -hmm. I was thinking, uh, well, it doesn't even need to, but then after listening to that interview, um, I was thinking, actually, there is that story. It's in there. It's just that this is the... This is the aftershock of, you know, what happened after the plot. This is everything that happened in a person's life after she had a wizardy adventure mm. as a young person. Because, yeah. right. you know, there's the mother, there's the missing sister, there's the uh, wounded leg, right? Mm-hmm. And, and her trying to ward off her, her, her dangerous witchy mother. Uh, with spells and and get a boyfriend. <laughs> it's like trying to live happily ever after. I guess it, it, it's post fantasy. It is kind of post fantasy, absolutely. Well, and I think if you look at it with a really critical eye, and don't get me wrong, because I really loved reading this book, um, but the plot is really the weak part, especially I think the moment that's intended to be the climax with the confrontation with her mother. Yeah. I mean, it's hardly anything there. It's hardly two pages, and it it really wasn't even that dangerous or dramatic like I thought it should have been if the mother was really that scary. Um, but other than that, I didn't really care. But mm. I'm not sure I would have read it if it was just a, a list of her reviews. So I think she needed something to kind of tie it together. So, But I felt you could really see it as a just an excuse for Joe Walton to get to talk about the books that she loves. <laughs> but I was fine with that. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a, I'm not too. sure it's a novel uh, in the normal sense, Yeah, but it, it's fine for what it is. And, and uh, I, you know, I got lots of great reading uh, recommendations from it. 
Oh, totally. Yeah, how much of the books have you guys read that are mentioned? I made a list. Oh, wow. <laughs> I've read about 10, kind of the big ones like Dune and Ursula Le Guin stuff and The Dark is Rising, those kinds. But most of the harder science fiction, I'd not read. I, I figured I figured Jenny was just like this this <laughs> this Joe Walton because of her reading speed. It's like I, the, the the majority of the novel takes place between September 1979 and February 19, uh, 1980, um, which is a very short period of time. And she reads a ton of books in that period. Yeah, <laughs> that felt very familiar to me. I can't read that. Fast. <laughs> uh, only reason I've read as many books as I have is because I'm old. Yeah, and. Uh, and also, she's talking about rereading, and I'm like, no, I can't. I can rereading occasionally. Yeah, this was you know really I, interesting to me because 1979, 1980. That's when I was really getting active in reading science fiction. So I, I didn't read a lot of this stuff she talked about back then, but you know, Terry Brooks and um, Arthur C. Clarke and Isaac Asimov and a little bit of Robert Heinlein and McCaffrey. Um, all these were people I was reading back then. So it was cool. I had just been born. <laughs> so I'm still going back. But it was, I guess it was amazing to me being reminded that this was in the late 70s because so many of these authors still write now. Um, so they've been mm-hmm. around for a while. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But we still talk about that as uh, I think a lot of the meta talk, you know, just the regular talk in the book is. Um, is about you know the the point. I mean, there's a lot. Oh, actually, I might be confusing it with the uh, with the interview now. It's kind of hard to oh, distinguish. Yeah. But um, a lot of it is about the place of of books in a canon of what you know what you should read. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know uh, the the message. One of the messages that I got was Delaney's really really good. You should go and read some Delaney. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I have yeah. to do that. Yeah, especially yeah, I because I, I love Zelazny so much. And she talks so much about Zelazny and Delaney that I think mm-hmm. I better try some Delaney. And uh, the, James Tripchi Jr. I'm sorry, Tam. Yeah, him, him I was, her. I was going to say, what, one of the <laughs> like Delaney's ladies, which is pretty hardcore yeah. in many ways. Of the what? Delaney's latest book, uh, Valley oh. to the Nest of Spiders. Mm-hmm. Well, the nice thing is we can just watch Tor.com for her reviews, right? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, her blog is very similar to the book. It's like her blog classic uh, science fiction books. When she's not talking about Patrick Rothfuss, like every other book. (laughs) Well, it's funny because I was like, I went into this book wanting to hate it. I wanted to hate it because Joe Walton hates cyberpunk. And that's, you know, (laughs) one of my favorite things. Um, And I couldn't make myself hate the book, unfortunately. But I did notice a distinct lack. It's a pre-cyberpunk book. So... You don't get any arguments about you know how bad cyberpunk is, and that's true because it's the nineteen eighty is the cutoff, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know what I love the most, and this is just a really personal thing that Moore uses the litany against fear from Dune. Oh yeah. When when yeah. she's um, frozen in her bed because her mother has paralyzed her, and when she's in pain, and um, I use this all the time. I used this at the dentist the other day. <laughs> <laughs> So it really that works. That is awesome. Huh? It oh. really does work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, one of the things that she said that kind of hit me as, you know, the way that I was back then was she said, um, everything I know about Judaism, I learned in a canticle for Leibowitz and dying inside. And that <laughs> was probably true for me too, you know, because 
you know, living in Idaho and, and things, you know, uh, don't have a lot of exposure to um, diversity. Mm-hmm. And reading science fiction made me aware of a lot of things that I didn't know about. And, uh, you know, so that statement of hers really clicked for me. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, that's really true. It really does expand your horizons. I think, I think there's some... Um uh you know a lot of good books in this in this list and i i absolutely agree it is an education to read uh, mm-hmm. s- science fiction um i i mean i i want to go and read all those silverberg books that i haven't read mm-hmm. um inclu- and most of them just have appeared on audible recently so um yeah yeah and i thought i was but- well read on zelazny cuz i love him so much but i have not read i'm looking at the list here uh, Creatures of Light and Darkness, I haven't read. Doorways in the Sand, I haven't read. The Dream Master, I haven't read. And um, Roadmarks, I haven't read. The rest mm-hmm. of them I have. If you if you guys haven't read the Amber novels, the first mm-hmm. five Amber novels are they're very short novels. So all five together probably makes up a maybe a six hundred page book. <laughs> um, maybe a little bit more than that, but not that much. But they are terrific. Starts with Nine Princes in Amber. Excellent book. In fact, I, I have, <laughs> I have <laughs> the unabridged version read by uh, Roger Zelazny, which is way, way, way out of Ooh. print. Way out of print. So, that would I'd be, be happy to share that. Uh, I I've read the first Amber. Uh, I I thought it was well written and fun, but I didn't want to read more. <laughs> really, I loved them. I loved all five yeah. of them. Yeah, I think Luke just I, reviewed it too. Oh, did yeah. he really? Yeah. Did he like them? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, because um, th- then he he wrote those original five, and then he wrote a second five. And um, I remember really enjoying the first one, and then it kind of went downhill from there. It was about the main character's son, that second set. So, so uh, w- one of the one of the things that I think is missing is is uh, obviously other than cyberpunk and anything subsequent to that. Is this is very much a a collection of of stuff from a certain era, right? This right. is nineteen seventies science fiction for the most part. There's not much on there, uh, at least in the science fiction department, that isn't from uh, either the seventies uh, or the sixties or, or very early eighties. Uh, you know, there's no H.G. Wells. There's no um, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. There's only what you would find at a bookstore in England in the 19, late 1970s, basically. It's, um, it, it's, in that way, it's very authentic because your reading, at least back then, would be entirely shaped as to what's available at the bookstore or at the library. Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and unless your, your copy of your book says inside... Uh, you know, you're looking at uh, Random House, and you open it up, and it says other books by Roger Zelazny. Unless it says all his other stuff published by other people, you wouldn't know some books exist because you're you're unable to access the internet. Doesn't exist yet, at least not in the way that we see it now. And and unless you know of uh, Worldcon that's happening near you, hmm. uh, you're reading Ansible or something like that. You wouldn't be able to ask other people, or even think to ask other people, no. that those books exist. Well, did, did all of you have some kind of a 
person that was suggesting things to read when you were young? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, you know, definitely. I didn't. I didn't have yeah, that. Not so. in the science fiction world. I, I kind of, you know, I watched Star Trek and then started going to the bookstore. You know, I would buy these Star Trek books, and then that turned into buying other ones, and then finding books at the library and things. But mm-hmm. yeah, my science fiction reading was all on my own. I didn't have anybody saying, "Hey, you ought to read Arthur C. Clarke," or "You ought to read this," or "You ought to read that." I cast a spell specifically to help you. Hey, thank you very much. <laughs> I appreciate that. So it went back in time, just That's like she said, and it adjusted works. everything so that we would meet today to talk Absolutely. about this book. Uh, I actually used to read the Comics Journal, and there was a long interview with Harlan Ellison. Mm-hmm. And he name-dropped all these authors, and then I dutifully picked up whatever he recommended. Oh, really? Yeah, that's. But neat. then I, I never finished, like, 75% of them. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I kind of wish I had them today because then I could go back and, uh, and yeah. read some of them. Yeah, so so my whole connection was a, a used bookstore called The Bookworm. And in there, there's just used paperbacks. And I would go there, I don't know, once a week, once every two weeks and just look at all of them and <laughs> buy some. Yeah. I'd be there for hours just looking at all the paperbacks. Scott, did you notice that, uh, that Joel Walton's uh, alter ego didn't read past the first Dune book? <laughs> you bet I did <laughs> I still think number two is worth it and I'm going to I'm going to read number three one of these days I really will alright um, <laughs> and she had the advantage of her father being a science fiction yeah, fan which yeah. was you know this really nice connection to a man she didn't know yeah right. and he suggested some things to her too some that she liked and some that she didn't but I really yeah, I loved that he suggested that. some horrible things to her that, mm. that was, that was part, of the, part of the plot where I was going yeah, what's Jenny say? Do not want. <laughs> oh my God, that was horrible. Yeah, Super she took it far too in stride for me, for my tastes. Yeah, well, the moment she Maybe walks into his. Line. Yeah, but the moment she walks into his library for the first time, and she expected to see Dickens and Trollope, and instead she sees a whole bunch of paperbacks, and most of them are science fiction, and she relaxes for the oh, first time. Yeah. That was a great moment. And I love that. And she said something like. I can stand anything if there's books. Yes. I thought that was cool. Yeah. yeah. Yep, that was neat. I'd rather have Heinlein than a headmistress. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's interesting because she credits Heinlein with her um, worldview being more expansive. It's kind of like what you were saying earlier, Scott, about mm-hmm. reading science fiction to learn more about things that you didn't know about or weren't around. Yeah. And she credits him with... Um, maybe having a more expansive view of sexuality and love. And I think that isn't what we hear most of the time about Heinlein. So <laughs> that was interesting. Yeah. I thought. You bet. yeah. Well, one of the things that um, I think was really nice also is that although it is actually mostly about science fiction, not even about fantasy, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's a bit about Tolkien and uh, Lewis, but not much. Uh, it's mostly a science fiction reader's, uh, uh, discussion. The majority isn't that isn't science fiction, isn't uh, fantasy. It's nonfiction or just general fiction by good authors. Um, mm-hmm. Or uh, n- n- I don't know what it is. Uh, philosophy. So there's a Communist Manifesto. There's um, a bunch of uh, Plata- Platonic dialogues. And there's there's lots of talk about that, and I thought that that was really, um, really useful because those connections are extremely strong. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, the Communist Manifesto is a utopian bo- book. It's about uh, how the future is going to unfold and and why it has to be this way. It, it uh, people took it as a uh, a blueprint, perhaps, but uh, just because you're you know when he goes, she goes and visits that uh, uh, I can't remember his name, but the old Jewish guy who's got a bunch of books on her, her, his shelf that she borrows. Sam, right? Sam, Sam. Her grandfather, I guess. That sounds right. Yeah. Um, that that is really good dialogue. You know, the talk about how to what what books are for is not just um, finding the truth when they're not fiction, and they're not just for entertainment. They're about they. You know, he says, uh, uh, she says at one point, Plato wants you to argue with him. And that's exactly right. You, if you go in and you, you come out of uh, reading The Republic saying, I totally agree with everything, you've completely misunderstood the point, which is uh, you need to think on your own and argue for everything because you, you can't figure things out just by adopting a worldview. You have to argue and figure out your own understanding of how the world works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny because she talks about the scientific method and she and Wim, you know, test things out a lot. But I think it's also true in how she uses what she's read. The Tolkien, she uses very heavily in her play. Like she and her twin would try to make the elves speak the way that Tolkien makes them speak. And so it was like they knew that that wasn't really their experience, but, you know, they would try it that way because they'd internalized so much of it. And then... They had this comparison almost. I really liked that little mm-hmm. bit there. Yeah. And there's, there's also later comparison to Shakespeare, mm-hmm. which um, I think was also appropriate. Um, but I, 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 I always think that whenever you say uh, this great writer was inspired by um, these things, what you're actually doing is you're actually diminishing the, the writer. You know, by saying uh, this, this great work of imagination was inspired by a tr- true life events um, is like, you know, <laughs> uh, Titania and Oberon, uh, you know, and their whole uh, fairy culture was real. Um, I think she, has, she sees the tension in that because they're really not, the fairies she's got are really not like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... If they're inspi- you know, if if Shakespeare in this world was inspired to write uh, *A Midsummer's Night's Dream* by real events in the real world, uh, that is actually like Shakespeare's a lesser figure now, right? He's just a a mere scribbler writing down what other people are telling him happened, and uh, it's not gone into too deeply. But I thought that was a nice uh, a nice look at it, and I, I do think that. The world that she has constructed, the fairy world, is actually pretty interesting in that she tries to explain how it could coexist in a real scientific world by saying how in, uh, in, impossible to understand the magic system is. Um, she did mention Virgil. Isn't he the one that wrote the Odyssey? Yeah, it starts with the uh, Aeneid, which is uh, uh, Virgil. Right. Virgil is a character in in uh, later writers' books as well, but Virgil's a, a, a Roman writer, which is a 
the Aeneid is, is a uh, an inversion Roman version of the Odyssey. And oh, the, it's the same thing. This it sort of happens after the Iliad and happens at the same time as the Odyssey, sort of. Ah, oh. but with the Trojans instead of the Odysseus. Yeah, she mentions using blood to contact uh, ghosts or something. I, that seems to come up. That's often. The boyfriend, isn't it? Uh, yeah, maybe I don't. I don't remember. Well, she would intentionally use blood to make magic stronger. Like when she cast the spell for the Karis, if that's how you say it. Um, she knew that it was dangerous to do that, but that it would be more effective. So she cut herself. Hey, does that explain you know why teenagers cut themselves? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I, I thought the stuff about the pierced ears was pretty interesting. I mean, as mm-hmm. a, a getting back to the plot. But then I was thinking, well, wait a second. Now, now she's really into, uh, what's that, uh, acupuncture. She's having her body punctured by uh, little metal pins. That's okay, but having her ears pierced is not? Well, but it's not permanent. I guess. But the permanent of of an ear piercing isn't that you keep metal in your ears all the time, right? Yeah, I think um, it might just be the presence of the metal, too, as opposed to things that are natural like wood. I don't know. It, 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 her magic system doesn't doesn't uh, make any sense, and I think that's the only way that it could make sense. Yeah. Well, let's talk about. Can we talk about the, the fairies a little bit? Sure. Um, Tama and I were talking about like whether or not we're supposed to think that the fairies actually exist in her world, or if this is her imagination in her world. How did you guys read it? I thought it was real in her world. Hmm. I think it would have to be because of, uh, you know, the events before the book and everything. I mean, all yeah. that was real. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's I was, how I read it, too. I just, I hadn't mm-hmm. thought of it, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that was my take well, on it. Well, I mean, I heard Kat Valente on uh, The Writer and the Critic, and somehow she thought that uh, it wouldn't make sense to the theme of the book if the fairies were real. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what her reasoning was. Well, it hmm. seemed pretty obvious that they had to be real. I mean, even the boyfriend. Yeah, that's when the boyfriend was seeing them and things that solidified that for me. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the, the whole magic thing would have had to have been real unless she was completely making up what happened. I guess that's possible, what happened well, the, to her sister. The magic, is, the magic is, is pretty, I mean, the way it works, you know, you cast a spell and the past changes so that everything looks exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Uh that sounds like no magic at all, right? That sounds like, uh, you know, <laughs> say, I, I want to pray for a better life, and it, it works in a way that, you know, <laughs> somebody comes into existence 30 years ago and comes knocking on your door with their own life and their own system. That's the only way it could work, right? Cool. Unless you, yeah. it happened you know, believe Buffy. that person was an angel or something. <laughs> Buffy season five? <laughs> I, I haven't seen it. Is that uh, when the the sister? I, shows I can't up? remember if it's season five or not. But there was a season <laughs> where she all of a sudden had a sister that didn't exist before that. Okay. Yeah. And it was <clears throat> magic caused. Yeah, yeah, it sure was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it. I think it's a well, well not explored magic system. I mean, it. It. I. I think that she. It's called lampshading when you put a. Put a hat on something that's obviously uh, 
you know, not right, and you point out and say that's not right because it it isn't science. It, and there is a huge tension in any uh, fantasy story as to whether they're going to go for magic being uh, a kind of science that we haven't understood yet, or if it's just inexplicable by its very nature. Yeah. Um, and the the focus here is is very ambiguous because she she's trying to model it on all sorts of things in the world the world one of the things that happens near the end is uh we find out that her stick you know her walking stick is not just a stick right mm-hmm. um i was thinking when the the boyfriend picked it up and started seeing the fairies really well i thought oh it's her it's her wand or her not her wand her her magical staff right you know like uh, gandalf's staff and it's just a channeling her magical power or whatever. Um, and in a sense, at the end, when she's she's talking about she won't drown her books, right? This is, uh, this is a reference to the Tempest. Uh, she's Prospero, um, and uh, the, she won't break her staff. You know, she's she's a wizard, <laughs> <laughs> and she's it's it's a it's a Harry Potter reference, I think. <laughs> well, but I al- I also think though that there's this underlying current of extreme grief in all of this, mm-hmm. and in so many ways she's taken on so much of the blame and the guilt for anything that she thinks she has caused hap- to happen. Um, you know, she questions her relationship with Wim because she thinks it was magic and it couldn't possibly be real. She doesn't think that the the book club existed until she'd made it happen, and so you could see it as her thinking that she somehow had this power that led to her sister's death. Mm-hmm. And in, in that vein, I think an argument could be made that none of it was real, but mm. I don't think that's what she's trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was really thinking about the guilt part of it because, you know, twins have very special relationship. Um, and of course you would go through a lot of grieving if any sibling died, but particularly a twin to all of a sudden not have the other part of you there. Mm. Um, it, it was clear that, you know, she replayed those events a lot. The car coming at them, not knowing the car was real, um, not being able to save her. And then she would have those dreams about um, the other more drowning and not being able to save her there either. So there is a lot of guilt that she was still working through I'm, and I'm just grief. I'm not 100% clear. Did she, did she steal her sister's identity? Yeah, that was confusing, wasn't it? I did, have a but- feeling that she did. Uh, but Their I didn't names have to... both start with more, so that doesn't help. <laughs> the only the only way to tell them apart was to get a dog. One loves dogs, or dogs love one of them, and one doesn't love dogs, right? Or no, the other way around. The dogs don't love her. Mm-hmm. So the, the two twins can only be told told apart that way. And later on in the book, there are no dogs, right? There's no dogs barking at anybody. Is there? I don't think so. So I think I think that we're meant to think that she did, in fact, <clears throat> switch identities in order to protect herself from her mother's uh, spells. I, I don't know if they're called spells. Her mother's magic. Oh, is that the reason? I thought it was because she always thought her twin was the better person. Could have been. Could have been multiple reasons. Yeah. Doesn't really matter, I guess, uh you know, to uh, anyone else. I mean, she, she, she's always changing names, right? Her last yeah. name changed. Uh, her first name's changing. It's, um, it's a, 
uh, I think the the the, the pre uh, the only part of the book that isn't set in those seven months or so uh, is is set in 1975, which is four years before. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot you should be a lot younger. Should be like 11 or something like that. Uh, I think. And then um, that's with her twin, and they go to that place they think is Mordor, <laughs> or yeah. called Mordor, uh, and that that's the scene that shows that that uh, they talk about the, the younger sister being afraid of dogs. Or is she younger? Maybe I don't know. But you know, we don't know what other people think, so we don't know which person the other people think she is. But we do know what books she's read, right? And we know <laughs> she's read *The Wizard of Earthsea*, which yeah. talks extensively about the power of knowing someone's name. Exactly. Yeah. So I can definitely understand what you're saying. It's interesting. It, it, it's surprising how little depth there is to all of the things we're talking about because um, it is it. it it's not really gone into too deeply. Almost all talk in this book is about books. It's not. Yeah, yeah and it's interesting, I, you know, as Jenny question. points out. I wonder how many of those things are going on in this book that I did not notice because, you know, the first book of, you know, well, Wizard of Earthsea, like she said, has to do with names and mm-hmm. how important it is to know someone's name. I wonder how many of these other books are brought up at moments and they have themes that actually match what's going on at the moment. Well, oh, now I we're going to have to go uh, read all of them. Now we have to read them all. and yeah. <laughs> Because uh, that's, uh, that's really interesting. Because I Heinlein bet you it's going on here stuff. and I'm not seeing it. Mm-hmm. Well, that Heinlein sex stuff comes up. And I yeah. think, I, you know, the, all the other things that I've read, I, I know there are lots of other uh, little ones. So, for example, uh, Arthur C. Clarke's The Forgotten Enemy is mentioned at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a short story about uh, the invasion of Britain by giant icebergs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, I guess just uh, just uh, glaciers, uh, reglaciation of of Europe. Um, and she studies great glaciers in school. You know, that's that's uh, it's a theme. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, uh, her talking about Lord Fowl's Bane and mm-hmm. how the main character in there didn't want to be there, and she thought he was an idiot because of that. I mean, that's interesting, ties right into what she was feeling. And she never read that, though. <laughs> well, yeah, but they had the conversation, and that's yeah, what turned her true. off about it. Yeah. <laughs> this book needs an index, at least. <laughs> yeah, not so a companion. Does anybody have the paper book? Because uh, I would like to know if there is a uh, no, suggested reading in the back. No, yeah. there's nothing in the back. Terrible! The book is suggested reading. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, if I was, you know, doing that, I'd be making notes all the time. I want just an index so I can go through and look and say, oh, yeah, that, that's the one she mentioned. I want to see if that's uh, available at the interlibrary loan system. But, of course, she has put it on her blog, and we'll link to that. All right. Because one of her I, librarian friends, real-life mm-hmm. librarian or friends or fans, made a list after they read the book. So Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Now she needs to put every quote next to each title. So <laughs> see them all. I know. I was really glad that um, I downloaded my Hugo nominee packet last night. And I was really glad to have an ebook version of this because this is a book that I will want to go back and, you know, look things up in again. It's much easier in an ebook than in an audio book. Because mm-hmm. you can go through and see how many times she uses the word caress and. When the first time she mentions all those things. Yeah, it's really useful. That is a cool word, too. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I'm saying it right. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. I think how it's from the... Cat, Monica's Cat's Cradle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and which I've never read. Clearly, I need to read that one too. She couldn't believe that Wim hadn't read it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one one recurring line that that comes again and again. You, I don't know if you guys noticed it. It's from I Claudius with um, uh, she she quotes Tiberius the emperor saying. Uh, it is better to be feared than to be loved. Um, <laughs> and that's her response in school, right? Uh, to all these girls sh- who uh, are trying to be catty towards her, or whatever, girls, uh, you know, bullying, whatever it is. Um, she get, she tries to glare at them. She glares at them, and that shuts them up. Um, does that work, Jenny? I've never, I've <laughs> never known glaring to be an effective. Well, it's not a great way to make friends. <laughs> uh, I thought Tiberius was James Kirk. <laughs> He's named after. He's named after. <laughs> Apparently, the way to make friends is to give them honey buns. Yes. But only within the certain structure that was allowed. I mean, I did like the, the little tidbits about going to boarding school and all the class systems. And that was interesting. There, there, if, you, if you take out... Uh, if you took out all the the uh, books, the novel would be quite short. If you took out all the novel, the book would be quite short. But together, they add up to a fairly big book. Mm-hmm. Ten hours. It's not bad. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I was thinking as I read this, Jesse, was uh, I think we were in a podcast with um, Luke one time. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if it was Luke or you. Um, you know, maybe I'm completely wrong on who said it, but somebody said, have you ever noticed that in science fiction novels, the characters never have read any science fiction? Mm. You know, <laughs> so it'd be interesting to write that. a hard science fiction novel in which part of the way they're solving their problems is by remembering the solutions to these problems in other books. I, I'm sure uh, we've got uh, the guy, uh, John Scalzi's working on it, you know, uh-huh. it sounds like a, uh, <laughs> one he's going to work on. If, mm-hmm. if red shirts, isn't that, I don't know anything <laughs> about it, but if, if that isn't that, then I don't know. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it, yeah. So this isn't really a science fiction novel. It's a fantasy novel, kinda with a lot of science fiction discussions. Right. Right. So all the all that science fiction she's studying doesn't seem to help her life very much uh, with the fairies and the spells and stuff. She should have read more fantasy, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. She uses um, Dune to get rid of the fears so that oh, she can so defeat her mother. <laughs> yeah, she she does talk about uh, certain fantasy, uh, certain magic. You know, she she talked. She said that that the. Uh, um, Acupuncture was magic, body magic. Um, the chi. Sorry, the chi. That, that's what they call the oh, energy. Oh, the chi. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Acupuncture. Um, and that they even admitted it that, that it was magic. Uh, hmm. I, I don't know. I've never had acupuncture, but uh, I think you know that that part of Dune is more like magic. <laughs> Doesn't <laughs> yeah. it sound like it? It's like an incantation, basically, or a spell, or a mantra. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A litany. <laughs> a litany. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you guys want to talk at all about the other books nominated for a Nebula? Or is that too out there? 
Um, I know it's already, the ship has already sailed, but. Mm-hmm. So, do you wish another book won? Well, I wondered if anyone read any of the other nominees. What were the others? Uh, I have the list here Embassy Town by China Mieville, Firebird by Jack McDevitt, God's War by Cameron Hurley, Mechanique, a tale of the circus that I can't pronounce by Genevieve Valentine, and The Kingdom of Gods by N.K. Jemison. Oh, I've only read Firebird. I've only read Joe Walton's one. Yeah, I'm I've afraid that's it. all I've read, too. Um, but you've read them all, right? No, I didn't make it to Firebird. Oh, okay. But, and I'm, I'm about halfway through Mechanique. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wondered. Yeah. We, uh, we don't have to talk about that. No, it's okay. Well, which which one? Do you think uh, they're all worthy? or? Um, I'm in, I think I've enjoyed the ones I've read each more than I expected to. Mm-hmm. So um, when I first heard about them being nominated, I was kind of like, mm, you know, but... <laughs> I think God's War in particular was very surprisingly good um, because was, I don't usually... What kind of book was that? It's a post-apocalyptic book of sorts mm-hmm. um, where electronics don't seem to work anymore and the main character is a woman who's, I think she's an assassin. I might be... I read it really quickly. Mm-hmm. But there, it's kind of set in the desert and there's a lot of gender role switching and a lot of... So they use like bugs as technology, right? Yeah, that's the big thing. They use bugs for everything. And people are described as bugs dripping off of them. And there are cockroaches climbing the walls. And some of the bugs are like child-eating bugs. Like um, (laughs) 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 They've gone through this like nuclear, you know, time. So things have been altered. And, uh, but they figured out how to use them for light, for energy, for healing, um, it's it's very fascinating. It was very wow. different than other things. Cool. It wasn't super creepy. Do not want. It it wasn't. I expected it to be, but it it wasn't. It was very different. Doesn't she like sell bugs. her internal organs too, or like yeah. transport stuff in her organs? Yeah. I read like the beginning of it. Mm. Yeah, it was interesting. And huh. then Embassy Town reminded me of Ursula Le Guin actually. Oh really? And wow. I thought it was really good. Oh cool. Insect. Yeah, and that oh. one's on the Hugo list as well, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's been nominated. Try to get that read in time. John W. Campbell. It was on that yeah. list too. So. Oh, good. And among others, is also on the Locus Award list. Oh, so wow. It's kind of made the rounds. <laughs> I wanted. Didn't want to make you punch him. Have you, have no, you I thought it was great. I mean, it took me a while to read. It's very dense. Um, it takes a little bit of patience, but I thought it was really good. Cool. What about the Kingdom of Gods? What kind of that's a fantasy? I take it, right? It is, and there's a lot of romance in there. Uh-huh. You know, I just recently read her more recent book, which I enjoyed a lot more than the Kingdom of Gods. But it's not that I think the Kingdom of Gods wasn't well written. It's just not my thing, really. Mm. I don't really like the romance stuff. Oh, I see. Jenny, do you know how many of these are the beginning of a series? Because it sounds like Walton's uh, Walton's book is not Embassy Town is not. God's War and Kingdom of Gods are. I don't think Mechanique is, but I haven't finished it yet, so I'm not sure I can tell. What about Firebird, Tam? Do you know? Firebird's I mean, part of a long series. Yeah. Oh, is it? Well, I, mean, yes. I mean, they're all self-contained stories, but mm-hmm. it's, it's the same character over and over again in a series. I thought wow. it was okay. I didn't think it was like, it didn't like bowl me over, but it was okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just didn't get to that one. I, I really like Joel Wal- what Joel Walton has to say about series and uh, I think <laughs> I'm just I haven't been reading her blog or her tor tor.com posts, but 
I think, you know, that uh, it's good to find people you can, yeah, you know, find recommendations from based upon the fact, you know, that you have similar hates. Um, <laughs> I, I, hate, <laughs> I hate series that go on forever. I hate uh, the first book in a six-part series that the other books haven't been written, you know. Um, and I hate long novels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love what she did on tour, uh, going through those Hugos mm-hmm. and asking questions like, you know, did the right novel win that one? And what, what else was out that year? I thought that was kind of neat. I enjoyed that yeah, a lot. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. She, she's, she's supposed to be reprinting all the Hugo nomi- nominated novellas. And then oh, that's analyzing. cool. That's that yeah, she, she was also I, saying I how much time to get novellas. The right yeah. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to say related to the Nebula Award, since we've seen the winners this morning, and we know that the Paper Menagerie won for short story, mm-hmm. um, which we had that discussion earlier. I know, the bees didn't win. But mm-hmm. did you notice there's this one moment in Among Others that made me think of the Paper Menagerie when she's fighting her mother and she's sending her the arrows that are made out of the pages of the books. Mm-hmm. And she turns the book pages into trees. <laughs> and she says something about how paper always wants to be trees. <laughs> mm. And I thought about the paper wanting to be lion instead. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> or dragon. Or <laughs> It was just a cute little connection between those two winning. Well, that's cool. Well, it, that, puts, uh, <laughs> that puts the paper menagerie into a, a more fantasy world even than it is, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking in that point in in uh among others that that the the boyfriend was right about the 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 um fairies being ghosts, and I'm not sure he's wrong hmm. Hmm. if you think of the way the the uh, the ending works um when the the fairies get their their plan going i guess because of the mom or whatever um it and and the the intro you know the introduction uh in the 1975 sequence i think that might be something that's going on and it's probably you're, you know it probably does have to do with some other fantasy book or science fiction book that's mentioned that i don't recognize cuz i haven't read it hmm. but i i bet if you've read all of these bo- all of the books on that that are mentioned you would probably get even more out of it than i did that's what i was thinking you probably have to be really re- well read to appreciate this book yeah, the more yeah. the more you've read, the more you'll like it, perhaps. But unlike some books that name drop a lot of books, it doesn't make me hate the author. It makes me actually want to read the book. So, you know, good job, Joe Walton, for that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever read a book where you just get exasperated because, you know, you, you can't keep up with what they're talking about. Are you talking about Hyperion by Dan Sins? <laughs> no, I haven't tried that one. I remember that, thinking that with... Um, that book is so good. That has a ton of uh, literary references to it. Yeah, but I don't think it's books. They're not books mentioned. No, they're not. It's in there. It's just obvious. Oh, okay. It's like references or something. Yeah, Yeah. it's allusion and uh, parallelism and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, What what, what kind of book are you talking about, Jenny? Oh, I'm not even sure I could give you a good example. It's just there's a certain time period of literature where there's just this canon that they assume everyone has read. So there are often references to books within that canon, but coming forward into where we are now, the canon isn't really the same. So I wouldn't have necessarily read all the philosophers, and you, you know what I mean. So I just um, well, there's there's you know bad 
bad writing just yeah. trying to show off. This isn't a show off book. No, it it's not. Like, it's, it's a love. It's it's a book love book. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Which I just appreciated that because it made me want to read what she's talking about rather than being discouraged, I guess. So I have the list and I'm ready to work uh, through it. <laughs> I think you should take off a year and just finish them all. Oh, yeah. Will you pay my salary while I do that? I, I would do that. <laughs> That's Maybe cool. there's a grant in there somewhere. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Oh, wouldn't that be cool? Write <laughs> a thesis. Yeah. Seven months ought to do it, considering it, uh, she she did it in seven months, right? Wow. And yeah, she, that's and true. She, <laughs> yeah. And she got a boyfriend. She's quite busy. She's going to therapy. Plus, she was doing schoolwork somewhere in mm-hmm. there. Presumably, yeah. Third in her class. Well, well those yeah. conventions are mostly men anyway, so that'd be a good place to <laughs> find somebody. So, if you were going to pick from this list of uh, of books to read next, uh, which one would it be? The ones that you haven't read that, that are on this one forty nine book fiction list, and I, I can't imagine this is complete. Is it complete? Only forty nine books or forty nine authors are mentioned. It's forty nine authors, but mm. some of them have many books mentioned. So, I would start with Zelazny because she mentions him so often, and I've never read a thing that he's written. Mm. Nine Princes in Amber. Get that one. I've already put it on my to-read list. <laughs> During this conversation. Uh, for, How about you guys? Where would you start? For me, there, there was three that I really would love to read like right now. <laughs> and one of them is uh, Inverted World by Christopher Priest. Um, Stand on Zanzibar by John Brunner. Love that Which is book. apparently a masterpiece, right? It's amazing. Yeah. I should read that too. And mm. then, um, well, actually, there's four because she mentioned Pavane by Keith Roberts, and that's mm. been on my list for a while. But the other one is The Wind's Twelve Quarters by Ursula Le Guin, which mm. this book says is the single best single author collection on the planet, or something. I can't remember how she put it, but early in the book, right. she she mentioned it and said, "Oh, it is fantastic." And I actually have it, so I need to get it <laughs> read. Yeah, definitely. It's mm-hmm. a cake. I mean, uh, I'm tempted to, to try more of the older Delaney books, even though I keep having problems reading other ones. Yeah, I, I, I'm tempted by that, too. Yeah, Babel like, 17, <laughs> she was staying alive at one point to finish that book. That was her motivation to stay alive. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right wow. in the middle of Babel 17. I can't die. <laughs> That's what the fairy means when he says halfway. Yeah. <laughs> it's not about anything else. It's the book I'm reading. <laughs> Yeah, can't That's get a better funny. blurb than that. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, maybe uh, a touch of strange by Theodore Sturgeon. It's an anthology. Mm-hmm. She said, it was good, but it was weird." <laughs> yeah, he is a weird guy. I'm still looking for that story where you said it's like one person's head and one person's nose or something. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm trying to remember. Maybe it's in that anthology. Uh, yeah, it's not. It's a novel. Oh. Oh, it's a novel. I believe so. It's not. Well, it's not. It's one person's eyes and one person's uh, skin or something, and one person's. It's three brains. <laughs> three brains in a in a jello mold, basically. <laughs> on Mars, I think. It, can someone on the internet figure out which uh, book this is? And yes, please. <laughs> is it a book or is it a short story? I think it's a novel, but I can be wrong. Maybe maybe what it's is- not even like a theater surgeon. <laughs> I think about. It. I don't know. <laughs> Um, but back then, maybe novels were 200 pages. 
<laughs> the other one that I, I I've been looking at for a while that I'd like to get is uh, Neville Shoots an Old Captivity. That's a interesting book. It's a uh, it's a parallel story in which um, it's set both in Viking times and in the modern day. Hmm. And I believe in the modern day the people are reincarnations of the people who are in the the old Norse period. And Neville Shute's a really good writer. Uh, you know, he doesn't generally do science fiction, but his science, stuff is very sciencey and airplanes and that sort of thing. So, isn't that one of the books the librarian Miss mm. Carol left for her? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. The other book I wanted to mention, because I actually have it on my shelf and have just never even opened the cover, I have an anthology of all the James Tri- Tiptree stories. Yeah, that's Ooh, yeah. a lot of mention. Um, and some of these, the forever. way she... Yeah, the things she said about them sounded The girl amazing. who was They're plugged fantastic. in yeah. many times. Every story yeah, I've read by James Tiptree Jr. has been excellent. Really yeah, great. Really if if there's a better title than this one, Love is the Plan, the Plan is Death, I don't know <laughs> what it is. That's the best title ever. <laughs> Yeah. Um, the screw fly the screw fly solution is a really good one. Um, and uh, uh, the dispossessed. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never that's read like that. Our most famous and one, that's right? yeah, that's that's the one that everybody knows and assumes it's in the canon, right? The dispossessed. I've never mm-hmm. read that. I've read a lot of other Luguin, um, but I've never read that. Anybody else read that? I have. How is it? Isn't it? my favorite, but oh. I like Left Hand of Darkness better. I think, but right. I like. Yeah, that. I think Luke said the same thing. Like left hand of darkness, bread and dispossessed. I read left hand of darkness. But Jesse, I think with your background, you seem to know a lot about politics and that kind of thing. I think dispossessed, you would really enjoy. Oh, okay, it. that's good. Cool. I, I think Joe has blogged about a lot of these books too. Like if you look up her blogs on Twitter.com, mm. I'm pretty sure a lot of these things have been uh, blogged about. Okay, I'm pretty sure all, cool. most of the Laney books are blogged. Fantastic. Dana Henderson, I've never read uh, at all, but I've seen, I see her on the shelves. Uh, anybody read any any Dana Henderson? I've read some some yeah. stories. Aren't those kind of fix up novels or collections? I would assume so. She's 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 one of the older authors on the list. Yeah, the people hmm. no different flesh or something like that. Yeah, that's right. And Pilgrimage is the other one that's mentioned, but uh, never heard. Yeah, of her. if, if I recall, it's about it's about people that live on the earth who are kind of not from here or have kind of evolved past here. I don't recall which. And they live among um, the regular folk. So, you know, when people find out that they've got these extra abilities, they don't like them very much. You mean they live among others? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Full circle. (laughs) I like uh, like the Isaac Asimov book that's mentioned that I haven't read. Uh, the left hand of the electron. <laughs> I guess. I guess uh, you just finished reading the left hand of darkness or something, or vice versa. Wow, that's funny. And the broken sword. I still haven't read that by Paul Anderson. Huh. Yeah, I've heard. Is that's there really a good. new audio version of that? Yeah, there's a Blackstone version. Yeah. Hmm. A lot of a lot of these are available as audiobooks only recently. Stand on Sight the Bar, for example. Really? I they finally made an audiobook of it? I believe so. Oh, I wanted to listen to it so much when I was reading it. It just seemed like it needed to be read out loud. That's amazing. I'm going to go down check. on that one. Let me just check. Now I'm... <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm going to reread this instead of reading something new. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm very worried that that's not true now. And uh, 
yeah, it w- available. Yeah. Oh, it would be so great in audio. That's uh, that's fantastic. Bergman, and it's twenty-one hours. Holy crap, that's long. Wow. It's a long one. Compared Never to this, man, that's nothing. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say that's not long. I just saw it. It has like forty-two hours or something like that. Oh my god! It by Stephen King. It is too forty long. hours is a long book. Terrible. Twenty hours. That's a work week. Is, <laughs> <laughs> twenty hours is I think a twenty hours good is average. Yeah. Uh, I I really appreciated that post you put up, Tam, uh, about uh, the uh, interview on the Good Street because that was it. It was uh, really good at understanding Walton's point of view on this book, and I really liked the way uh, she she talked about (laughs) about how the book industry. It's nice to hear somebody who sounds sane, you know, saying these books are just too long and Mm. they need to be cut down by six thirds. Yeah, after I heard that interview, that's when I said, you know, I'd love to read some of her books. And yeah. then she got nominated, so. What else is available as an audiobook, do you know? I think her she has a trilogy called uh, Half Halfpenny, Farthing, oh, right, right. Farthing or something like that. It's an alternate uh, history of England, I believe, when they make peace with Hitler instead of going hmm. to war. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Well, so is the what's the uh, first one? Farthing, I believe. Small change. Not absolutely positive. Yeah. I'm not absolutely positive, but I thought it no, was. Farthing. You're right. It is. Huh. Interesting. Oh, and it's only nine hours and forty six minutes. <laughs> Bravo. I, I might be up for the first book in that. Uh, I don't know if she cool. if she ends it well. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's got it's got high reviews as well. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, I've been off in my own world for about three months, uh, so I don't know if you guys have talked about the fact that Tor is going to start publishing DRM-free eBooks. Did you guys see that news back in April? Yes, I think Tam sent, sent me, or maybe Scott sent me that. Yeah, that's that's and, a really and, interesting development. That's that's neat. So you can, like you can buy a book, and it'll it'll work on any platform you want. <laughs> that's what we want. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You notice yeah. you notice how like they just give the books away now uh, at the time of the the awards, uh-huh. and then afterwards people still buy the books. Yeah, isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It is. It's kind of like window. how the character of Moore and among others does it, right? Because even though she uses interlibrary loan very heavily, if she loves the book, she buys it. Mm-hmm. That's what I try to tell my students. In, in the music program, you know, because we always talk about copyright, you know, that you can borrow something from the library if you're looking into it, but then if you want to own it or if you want to perform it or, you know, if it's something you're going to study intensely, then you purchase it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because we want to advocate that people keep supporting these authors. That's how they make a living. Yeah. Oftentimes, yeah. Oftentimes they, they uh, are professors at university Hopefully. or or they, uh, you know, they're independently wealthy or uh, they just aren't rich. <laughs> they don't make a living. They, yeah. they mooch off their relatives. But we would like them to be able to. Uh, in a perfect world, absolutely. <laughs> hmm. um, I, I think that uh, the main thing is, is um, making it so that when you bought a book, um, you don't have problems using it because of right. some mechanical uh, impediment that makes you not be able to use something that you, you purchased. 
You should also be able to share an electronic version the same way you could share a print version. So I, I think that that's where this book went wrong. Is she's got her, she's she's written it upside down in Latin, left-handed or something, right? Why does she do that? <laughs> Making it harder for us to read this book. It it, it took it took like uh, three decades for this book to come out because somebody had to figure out how to translate that upside down inverted Latin in a mirror. Uh, into English. If she hadn't put in all those restrictions, we would have had this book back in the mid-80s. That's right. <laughs> all right. Well, I was going to say that um, some smaller publishers are already DRM-free, like Bain, yeah. I think. Angry, Angry Robot. Robot. Yeah. Yeah. So even before yeah, tour, Nightshade. Nightshade's, I think, DRM-free. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good move. It is a good move. But Tor is like one of the part where one of the major. So yeah, I guess uh, the part that I don't get is Tor just going to sell them on their site, or are they going to continue like through Amazon and things? Because uh, I think if they go through their, I own guess site, they would have to do it on their site. I hope that yeah. they do because that will help them. I think even free books on Kindle are have a DRM. Yeah, it, it amazes me a bit to. You know that Amazon has so much power because anybody can put up a website, right? I guess the problem is getting people to know that you exist and get people to come to you. Yeah, um, but then that's the advantage that Amazon has. But someone like Tor, mm-hmm. people are going to go to Tor. You know, you put the the latest Orson Scott card or something on Tor, even if it was exclusive to Tor in a DRM free ebook. You know, people who want the ebook could go get it. I think, yeah. anyway. So you can uh, or if you're up to know take away Amazon's fifty percent or whatever it is right now, and uh, heck, they could sell it for instead of nine ninety nine, they could probably sell it for seven ninety nine and still be way ahead. Sounds good. Or, or your book can get an option for a movie by Ridley Scott, like uh, Wool. It's a ninety nine percent Kindle book that got optioned by Ridley Scott, and now. People are probably, yeah. So now people are probably going to it in droves. I don't think Ridley Scott's going to option all uh, all the books in the market, though. It's probably one right. every three months or something. It's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Most authors shouldn't hold out hope for that. And, and someone called it the sci-fi version of the Fifty Shades of Grey. That's, that's a horrible description. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's just another ebook uh, hit. But there, there's no S&M, I believe, in this. Science fiction book, like like Fifty Shades. I haven't I haven't read much about that other than it's very popular. Yes, had the housewives love it. Jenny's <laughs> probably read it. No, not <laughs> that's just because find. you're a fast reader, Jenny. Not because you're a, you're a housewife. Yeah, you know it started as fanfic for Twilight, and I think you know how I feel. Oh, about really? Twilight. Oh, mm-hmm. that is not a high recommendation. No. <laughs> that That's is. where greatness comes from. Um, no. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. 